Welcome back to Techtopia, the podcast about a better future. I'm John Biggs. Today on the show, we have Jim Clark, who works at Intel's Quantum Computing Lab. This is Techtopia. Hey guys, John Biggs here. It's not smart to ignore changes in technology that will eventually change our lives for better or worse. That's a thing that's not smart, but you know what is smart? Going to ZipRecruiter.com slash techno to hire the right person. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you, it finds them for you. It's a powerful matching technology that scans thousands of resumes, identifies people with the right skills, education, and experience for your job, and actively invites them to apply. So you get qualified candidates fast. That's why ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the U.S. This rating comes from hiring sites on Trustpilot with over 1,000 reviews. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash techno. At ZipRecruiter.com slash techno, ZipRecruiter.com slash techno. ZipRecruiter, it is the smartest way to hire. Welcome back to Technotopia, the podcast about a better future. I'm John Biggs. Today, we have James Clark, uh, director of quantum hardware at Intel. Okay, so quantum hardware is probably some of my favorite kind of hardware, Jim. Uh, why don't you tell me a little bit about what you guys are doing there? So if you're familiar with conventional computing, uh, you're familiar with the, the central processing unit or CPU. Uh, at my group at Intel, we're developing the QPU, the quantum processing unit for quantum computers. And quantum are a, um, uh, quantum computers are uh, an emerging technology. Uh, that um, that should bring about exponentially fast compute technology um, uh, compared to to the technology we use today. So, what does that? So, this is a this is it's it's important that we get I guess our 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 um, definitions right uh, as we begin. So, what's the primary difference between a quantum computer and a regular computer? So a quantum computer uses uh, two principles of quantum mechanics uh, to access an exponentially large space for compute in comparison to a classical uh, computer. Um, the way to think about it is uh, I often do with coins. Uh, if you have a coin uh, in your hand, it's either heads or tails. Uh, if you have a transistor, uh, it's encoded as either a one or zero. The transistor is on or off. But with a quantitative information or a qubit, we'll call it a quantum device, it's better to think of that coin as spinning on a table where that coin can simultaneously represent um, both heads and tails with some probability. If you then bring in a second bit of information, qubit, uh, you can represent uh, a total of four uh, states. Three qubits, so imagine three spinning coins, you would have a total of eight states at the same time. Um, what's interesting about this is as you keep getting larger and larger in your number of qubits, you can represent uh, very quickly more states that are accessible with a classical computer. Um, mm -hmm. For example, with 50 qubits, you reach a point where uh, you're essentially a bit more powerful than a any supercomputer on Earth. Hmm. And and uh, and forty qubits. What's the? I guess is there a size difference in terms of in terms of being able to to generate this stuff? Is it is is it as big as a regular supercomputer? That kind of thing. Because I think it's I think it's. Would you I mean, is able it, to put this in my it, phone? 
You know what I mean? Uh, I'm sorry. Can you repeat that? Would I ever be able to put this in my phone? Would I ever have a comp- uh, a uh, a um, well? So here's the um, phone, uh, here's access to a quantum computer. Um, yeah. So here's the comment that I would make uh, in mm-hmm. uh, the 1960s when you had just a few different uh, supercomputers on Earth um, or, or large computers. They weren't even called supercomputers at the time. Uh, that's about the stage that we are in uh, development with the quantum computer. Uh, so at first, there are really only a few of them. <clears throat> they're relatively simple. Uh, uh, in the 60s, you could just about check your work uh, through uh, human calculation. That's where we are today. Um, mm-hmm. We're quickly going to get to a point where we can do things that no conventional computer on Earth could do. But the point at which you would have it in your back pocket, let's assume that just like a regular computer, let's assume that that's still uh, another 40 years away. Okay. Interesting. Oh, okay. So the, I'm, I'm a big fan of quantum computing and, and the thing that I'm looking forward to the most is essentially uh, general access to a quantum computer. I think there's a couple companies that are working on it right now and I'm sure Intel's doing some, some work there. Is that, is that something I should be excited about? Is it important for uh, regular programmers to have access to uh to machines that can use qubits and things? Yeah, it's all part of an ecosystem that will have to evolve uh, to bring quantum computing to reality. Programming a quantum computer is unlike uh, a classical computer uh, and the way you manipulate the algorithms or the qubits is, is fundamentally different. So by having these accessible, either uh, to small groups at first or uh, eventually to the public, I think you're going to see an acceleration of, uh, of the quantum computing technology. Now, we're in a stage where uh, we have uh, our, um, our qubit chips, and we're still continuing with internal testing and internal characterization uh, prior to putting anything on the cloud. But I think the cloud is probably a good model for early quantum computers, uh, and there would be a, perhaps a variety of them, whether it's uh, from companies or from national labs, I think you'll see uh, access through the cloud. And when are we going to have, when are we going to have generally available uh, quantum compute? When is it, when is it going to replace uh, the regular supercomputers that we have now? Yeah. So uh, a couple comments there. The first comment is a quantum computer is exponentially faster for only certain algorithms at the moment. Um, so algorithms would be in cryptog- cryptography, some could be in uh, portfolio optimization. Um, we feel that the first applications will be in chemistry and chemical modeling, um, which, of course, chemistry uh, uh, as a segue into medicine uh, and biology. Um, so in that sense, um, they won't replace, but they will augment a supercomputer for certain al- algorithms. So we would expect... Mm-hmm quantum computer to be stationed next to a supercomputer uh, in a data center, as an example. Now, when we will have them, we think that a quantum computer that will, say, change your life or mine is still about 10 years away. Um, Up until that, there will be a lot of learning uh, that will happen, um, but it won't be commercially relevant uh, to a company like Intel uh, and probably uh, you won't be able to pinpoint something in your uh, in your life uh, and say uh, that's because of a quantum computer. Hmm. Okay, interesting. So, what's the uh, 
in terms of augmenting uh, a supercomputer, what are some of the, so you said, you said portfolio management, I guess, network, uh, network uh, con- um, management, that sort of thing. Is there, is there the idea would be to offload a lot of those functionalities to, to a, to a quantum computer as necessary or, or how would that work? Yeah, that's a great point. Um, so for certain types of algorithms uh, or certain tasks, uh, you would offload them as uh, offload them to a quantum computer as an accelerator, for example. Um, now, I expect the number of applications to increase uh, as we have initial systems, um, but way, the way to think about this is an accelerator in the data center. Mm-hmm. So the so the the quantum computer works side by side with the uh, with the other machines. It does. Now, one of the things I want to point out as part of this discussion is. Um, while my team is making, uh, I'll say, the quantum uh, processing unit, uh, there is a host of classical electronics uh, that would be used for the control system, uh, for hosting the, the architecture, uh, or uh, basically that the overall, an overall quantum computer will have a quantum processing unit and then a host of classical uh, compute components. So really, any system mm-hmm. build is going to be a hybrid system. Uh, and then any application we run is likely going to be a hybrid application where parts of it run uh, on a supercomputer or host computer and parts are offloaded to a quantum computer. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, I never had, uh, I never thought about that the uh that you wouldn't be able to use the quantum computer the way you'd use it the uh a generally available supercomputer. Um are there any are there any current implementations that you think that are fairly cool? Well, uh, cool uh, can be interpreted as, a, as a, <laughs> uh, all of these systems today operate at a fraction of a degree above absolute zero. Uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah. to that extent, they're all pretty cool. Um, out a bit. Yeah. Um, no, this is an exciting space. And, um, uh, you know, while, while Intel uh, is focused on two uh, uh, qubit technologies. We certainly pay attention to the field and the people on my team are just excited about uh, any new development in this space because collectively mm-hmm. uh, with the research all over the world, um, every big development is one step closer that the overall community gets to realizing one of the systems. So so it's, it's a pretty fun time. Uh, big advancements just about every month. Mm-hmm. Is there anything uh, particularly interesting that happened recently? Um, so I think at, I think at Intel, what's what's certainly been interesting is is and exciting this year is up until now a lot of the quantum uh, um, uh, quantum processing units or, or qubit chips have been built in uh, university settings and university labs. This is where the expertise has. Um, now, while this is still a fundamental science project, uh, it, it, our view at Intel is if we can take a healthy dose of Intel engineering and process control, something we're very good at. Uh, and apply it to mm-hmm. to, uh, uh, to qubit technologies, uh, then we can help the field accelerate. To that extent, this year, um, we have been um, running um, a specialized uh, quantum uh, fabrication process in our 300 millimeter fabs in Oregon. So we're seeing mm-hmm. um, yield and uniformity from device to device that we feel has exceeded anything that's currently out there. So that's certainly been something that, uh, that that's ongoing. That's exciting us here at Intel. And is this mass production or is this, uh, or is this, I don't know, a couple dozen chips per, uh, per run? 
Yeah, so great question. Uh, so this runs uh, uh, this runs in the same fabrication facility where we do uh, our late stage R and D. Um, so this is we're in a in a facility where we run thousands of wafers uh, a week. Um, now here we're we're running a few wafers at a time. We're optimizing mm -hmm. the process. When we have a good wafer, uh, that wafer will have uh, tens of thousands of qubits, uh, albeit not interconnected. Um, so we have a huge real estate with which to test and play with uh, these devices, and that's pretty exciting. We're producing these on, on a scale uh, that hasn't been done before. And one of the challenges is characterizing and, and getting as much information as possible uh, from one of these large wafers and feeding it back into our, our feedback loop. Okay, so the so the expectation now isn't isn't to actively run anything on these things for you guys. It's more just to figure out what the what the physical plant is, what the what the physical manufacture of these things looks like in the future, right? Uh, when you say run, I mean that would be let's say for this technology, which this technology is a newer technology. Um, mm -hmm. All at the moment is not to create. Um, uh, I'll say an uh, online uh, system in the cloud. Uh, testing mm -hmm. types of, of qubits. Um, uh, here, what we're trying to do is um, uh, characterizing some of the fundamental variability of one qubit type to another. Um, this is among the one of the tasks that we're doing uh, that we're doing now. Okay, if I want to uh, become a quantum computer programmer, uh, if I want to start exploring this this space, what should I start doing right now? Yeah, that's a great question. We get asked this question a lot. How do I get into quantum computing? Uh -huh. In fact, this topic uh, came up last week uh, at the White House. The White House had a quantum information summit and workforce uh, uh, came up as a, as a topic uh, for discussion. Um, the answer is you don't have to be a quantum physicist to work on quantum uh, computers. Uh, on my team, uh, the team at Intel, uh, we have people that are materials experts. We have people that are transistor experts. Um, uh, we have people that are RF uh, microwave engineers with mm -hmm. the signaling. Uh, and then we have people that are architects uh, who are trying to apply the Intel architecture more to the quantum space. So certainly there is a component of, of knowing, uh, um, I'll say quantum mechanics that would help, but it's it's far from the case that you have to be a quantum physicist to, to work in this space. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to be a quantum physicist, but you would, would it, does, is there any sort of um, uh, specific programming languages I should be looking at as a, as a student or whatever, or is there, or is, I guess the question is, do you have to be super deep into quantum computing to be in quantum computing? Yeah, that's, that's our point. Um, uh, <clears throat> uh, I'll answer it two ways. One is, um, I think most of us would say you don't have to, um, but uh, that, that there are a lot of uh, areas of expertise um, which, when applied to quantum computing, uh, help accelerate the field. Uh, the second is I think that universities now are grappling with what would a quantum information systems degree look like? It's probably a heavy dose of quantum physics and uh, computer engineering, classical computer engineering. So I think this is an area, mm -hmm. an area of particular importance because there simply uh, isn't enough, uh, aren't enough quantum engineers around today to fill the openings both in academia uh, and industry. So we need to develop more of them.
All right, very cool. All right, so at, so at what point is a quantum computer going to be able to run every single car in a uh, in a self driving city? <laughs> uh, so let's let's g- yeah, g- give me great. an over under. Uh, great question. Um, an area of uh, of, of work um, with quantum computers now is optimization. Um, and so mm-hmm. imagine if you have a self-driving car, it's looking for the optimal route. Um, there's also a strong uh, machine learning component, uh, which we're seeing papers uh, with uh, with quantum computers. So. Um, Let's see. Um, I'm not an expert on when the first self-driving cars will come. Um, mm-hmm. We were to say that each of those is still in their infancy, uh, then I would expect uh, still at least on the 10-year time frame before uh, quantum computers hmm. are influencing the self-driving car space. But it's certainly uh, an active area of uh, vision, if not already in the research. Hmm. Okay, so about so about a decade is before we before we see it really take off. Yeah, and if that sounds far to you, if that sounds far off, it it really isn't. If we take a look at the inflection mm-hmm. in technology, um, the first um, transistor uh, was in the late '40s. The first integrated circuit was in the late '50s, and the first microprocessor was around 1970. And so you really see mm-hmm. these fundamental changes in technology about every 10 or 11 years. So when I say 10 years away, that's not um, so far away that we shouldn't be excited about it or working hard towards it. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the frustrating thing, when I, when I do this podcast, I talk to a lot of folks who are thinking about the future. And, and I always say that we're sort of an interstitial period right now. We're not, it's not, we're neither here nor there. We don't have, we don't have a mobile jet. We don't have a mobile um, uh, explosion Right now, everything's kind of flat over there. We don't have any new microprocessors. It can't get much, the, the tr- traditional microprocessor can't get much better from what it is right now, uh, which is why I'm particularly excited about um, generally available quantum. But let's see, uh, let's see how, that, how that all plays out. Yeah, so one of the misconceptions uh, that I hear off mm-hmm. uh, to your point is I'll hear someone at a conference or even at the White House event last week who will say, Moore's law is ending, therefore we need to work on quantum computing. Reality, um, and you wouldn't, you wouldn't expect a different response from Intel. Uh, we think Moore's law uh, is healthy. Um, and in fact, at quantum uh, computing, a person here, I would say that we need the technical advances of a few more generations of Moore's law in order to even bring quantum computing to reality. So if Moore's law were dead today, it isn't. Uh, then I would say the prospects for quantum computers would also be dead. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Interesting. All right, very exciting. All right, so uh, so, if, so if people want to try some uh, try some qubits, can they just call you and and you can send them a uh, qubit processor or something? We're working on so that. Uh, we're we're getting uh, we're getting <laughs> okay. to that point. Um, we don't uh, at Intel. We don't make the the refrigeration units, so that would be something that they would have to uh, provide. Um, Getting well, I got I got a I got a, a mana downstairs. We could just put it in the freezer. Right, uh, not the right temperature. Um, <laughs> now, those okay. believe it or not, though, that's not the hardest part. People will say uh, have the opinion huh. getting to a fraction of a degree above absolute zero is prohibitive. Um, there are many companies around the world that build these refrigeration units. They're about the size of a fifty-five gallon drum. Uh, okay. So. All right. Well. Fascinating. This is uh, this is great stuff. I'm excited to see uh, see what you guys are up to uh, next. Jim Clark, uh, 
Intel's quantum computing uh, lab. This has been great stuff. Thank you. For this. Thank you. Technotopia is brought to you by Happy Fun Corp. Happy Fun Corp is a design-driven technology company in Brooklyn, New York, that specializes in building mobile and web applications for startups and Fortune 500 companies. Whether it's a new mobile or web application that will help people experience the Internet in a fun new way, or software that will interface with a new piece of top-secret hardware, Happy Fun Corp is always up to the challenge. Big or small, Happy Fun Corp loves building software and loves working with great people. Come build with them. HappyFunCorp.com Technotopia is also sponsored by Jaywalk. Jaywalk is a new app that pays you to walk. You can try it out at jaywalk.me. It's created by me, John Biggs, and a few of my friends. jaywalk.me, please check it out.